following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The way of Ishmael. Let's pray. Almighty God, I do not want to walk the way of Ishmael. I want to walk by the way of the Spirit, by the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you quicken our hearts today that we would learn from the stories of Scripture your ways and your heart so that we might walk in accord with your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Abraham suddenly was in vision. He did not know what to expect, but suddenly God moved. And the word of God came to him in Genesis, the 15th chapter, in these brief words. Genesis 15, Do not be afraid, Abraham or Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So no doubt, from this word, we could infer that Abraham was walking in fear. He'd been living in the land for 10 years, and he had seen no evidence that God was going to move and keep his promises. Have any of you been waiting for God to move? You wait, and you wait, and you pray, and nothing happens. You pray about your husband, you pray about your wife, you pray about your children, nothing happens. And you begin saying to God, did I miss you? Did I miss you, God? And suddenly into that despair, God stepped with a vision and he said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield or I am your sovereign, literally in the Hebrew. I am your sovereign, your very great reward. In other words, God was simply asking him, am I enough for you? Do you have to have what you've been praying for, or am I enough? If you don't get what you've been praying for, are you going to turn away from me in bitterness? Or am I enough for you? Are you going to walk away from me and be in despair saying, I'm not enough? Have any of you walked in this? Listen to what Abram has the courage to say back to God. And this is not a badge of courage. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is a leaser of Damascus. Oh God, I'm going to go eat worms. Nothing goes right for me. How long do I have to pray? How long do I have to wait? God, why don't you come and do something? Boy, does Abram have a whine. 
You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. God, you called me to minister. And then you never gave me a church to minister in. God, you called me to preach your word, but you never gave me a pulpit to preach at. God, you called me to do this. You called me to do that. But then you didn't open the way before me. Now I'm just going to have to go do something for Pharaoh. I can't trust you, God. I'm going to just go take care of myself. You're not enough for me, God. I've got to have my place of standing or you're not enough for me. If you don't do what I ask you to do, then obviously you're a God who's weak and unfaithful and I can't trust you. I'm only going to serve you, God, if you're Superman and you do my bidding. Oh, the unbelief and the whining that rolls through like thunder. The discouragement that rises up in our hearts and we say, what is this deal all about after all? I didn't sign up for this misery. I signed up to walk in victory. I signed up to be successful. I signed up to be a wonderful, humble servant of God who has the glory of God on him. Now, why am I getting all this? Just a side note. Have you ever wondered why God told Abram, who was later named Abraham, to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and offer him on the altar? I can tell you, because he spent so much time in whining and unbelief. You want to miss out on the Isaac experience? Then go there willingly. Not with a whine. Watch. Verse 4. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. The scriptures are being very generous with Abram. Because the next question out of Abram's mouth is verse 8. O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? In other words, he's from Missouri. Show me. I'll believe it when I see it, God. How do I know for certain that what you've said is going to come to pass? I mean, God has said in a day he's going to rise up a church in this city, a standard of righteousness is going to be raised up in this city. Well, look around. Are you impressed? I mean, do you see crowds of people jamming into the Vineyard Fellowship Church? In the spirit, what do you see? Do you hear the weeping of this city in your spirit as they fall before the Lord and are convicted of their sin? 
Can you hear in the spirit? Or do you only hear with a physical ear? Now, the Lord has to deal with this question. And I praise God. I praise God. He does not always punish unbelief. Angels generally punish unbelief. I mean, you remember how Gabriel reacted to John the Baptist's father. Because you did not believe, Zechariah, you are going to be speechless until this child is born. But God is very kind in this instance. The Lord said to him, verse 9, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him. He cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. Now, you understand what he's doing here. He's walking in the cultural expectation of that day for forming a covenant agreement. In other words, in that day when an important decision was being made, two parties would come together, animals would be cut in half and laid on each side, and their blood would be allowed to run down into the middle And then those who were making the covenant would lift their robes and walk through that blood. And they were saying, if I do not do what I have promised to do, you may cut me in half. You may kill me and shed my blood. And the God of heaven is now willing to lower himself, lower himself to getting his sandals bloodied by the blood of animals to make a covenant agreement with Abram. But I want you to notice that Abram does not walk between the halves of the animals. In other words, God is making a promise and he is not asking Abram to make a promise in return. He is saying, I will take responsibility to make certain that you have a child. You don't have to do anything. I will do it. But wait a minute. Don't we have to do something to have a child? Don't we have to plan? I mean, don't we have to take our part of the action and have this? God is saying, I'll make certain that you have a child. And you don't have to plan one part of having that child. It will be a child of promise. And I will do it. Any of you need a covenant made by God? To say that he will do what you have asked him to do? Don't the scriptures say that all of the promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ? Didn't the blood shed on Calvary's tree cover every instance? And now the Lord is saying, I will do this. I will bring it to pass. You don't have to do it. I will do it. Now watch. Verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates. 
Now we come to 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now you know what Abram means? Honored father. His name had mocked him all of these years. And now Sarai comes to Abram and says, I have this Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And so Abram agrees. Does it remind you of anybody? Adam. Oh, this fruit will do all these wonderful things for you? Well, here, let me have a piece too. So Abram is now saying, okay, I'll take her as my wife. I'll have two wives. The custom of that day was for the men to take more than one wife. By so doing, they could produce more children. And that was their workforce with the animals and the husbandry. And they were able to gain more wealth by having more children. I mean, today we don't look at children as slaves in the family. I remember my dad telling me that at the third grade, he had to drop out of school. I said, why, Daddy, did you have to drop out of school? He said, because, Raymond, I was needed on the ranch to make money. Our day is very different. Now he's willing to take a second wife to try to somehow achieve what God couldn't do. Abram agreed. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived And I have to stop there and ask you the question, how do you sleep with an Egyptian maidservant in order to be productive because God hasn't shown up for you yet? You cried out to God. You've asked God to come and meet you. He's spoken his word into your heart. He said, am I enough for you? Do you trust me? I'm going to answer the prayer that you've prayed Are you willing to wait on me? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to watch? And you said, no, I've got to find out a way to make this happen. I've got to go get that job. I've got to go get whatever I have to go get to make this work because I'm the one responsible. Or else your heart has just been bitter toward God. And you've spent great amounts of time either daydreaming or, or fantasizing about how you're going to make it work for you. Instead of simply trusting in the name of the Lord and saying, I will wait upon you, oh my God. So now we have this young woman taken out of Egypt. 
She is now the wife of the man God has chosen to birth his nation. And she conceived and became pregnant. We're not going to deal with in-depth Hagar today. I want to save that for another message because there's so much in Hagar that we need to look at. But today, let's keep our eyes on Abram. I want you to note in chapter 17 that when Abram made the decision to reach out and take for himself what he wanted to take to produce what he wanted to produce, God withdrew from him and for 13 years did not speak to him. Will I say that again? When he chose to step into his own place of authority and say, God, you are not enough for me. This covenant you've made was not sufficient for me. I'm going to go do it myself. God withdrew from him and did not speak with him for 13 years. What year are you in? Or does God speak with you? Some of you say to me, Pastor, God doesn't speak to me. How many years since you chose to go your own path and to create your own deal, to walk in your own anointing and be under your own authority? If you want God to speak to you, you're going to have to renounce your Ishmael. The problem is, Abram loves his Ishmael. He loved Ishmael. Ishmael was his own son coming out of his own body. But he was a son born through natural process. He was not a son born of promise. Now listen carefully. You must make a decision. Do you want your life to be born out of natural process? Or do you want your life to be born out of a promise? You can't have it both ways. Either your life is born out of a natural process that even a pagan could walk in and achieve, or your life is born out of a promise, and then it is only by the hand and the power of God. Everything that I have produced in my life, like Abram, the Lord has asked me to release and cast aside. Because the Lord has told me that I am only to hold on to that which has come as a result of a promise. Everything else has to go. Do you understand the implications for that in your life? When the pagan person looks at you and they see you prospering, do they see you prospering because you have been cunning and wise and have functioned like any pagan would function? Or do they see you prospering because the hand of Almighty God is upon you? 
as when Pharaoh would look at Abram and say, God is with you. When I violate and take your wife as my wife, disease comes upon me. The presence of God breaks out. Judgment comes. Take your wife back and get out of Egypt. I mean, once you make that decision that you're going to walk in the way of the promise and not in the way of Ishmael, everything changes in the way you function. And I have to tell you today, the great question in my heart that began this pilgrimage was, can I have anything by promise of God? Because at that point as a pastor, the church I had, the car I had, the house I had, everything that I had was a result of my expertise. It was a result of my walking in the basic principles of good business management and being successful as a promoter, knowing where to put the television spots and knowing how to talk to people and knowing how to organize the church and knowing how to do everything. And I'd been trained in this in the world systems. And so the large congregation was just a result of good business practice. Everything I had was a result of good business, a casting of the dice, Sometimes it came up, sometimes it didn't. If it didn't, do 10 more things. Surely one time it'll come up right and you'll win. If you don't win once, try again. Have you ever heard that? Keep trying, don't quit. It's that winner's... I could give you all the quotes. I was a Robert Schuller fan. I knew the positive quotes. But a time came in my life when the Lord God of heaven stepped in and he said, will you walk by promise? And I said, I can't trust you. You've never answered one of my prayers. In every prayer that's been answered, there was always a a covering possibility that it was by flesh. It was always, I'm helping God out. I'm doing my part. It's like the man who came to the big Thanksgiving meal and the man who was praying the blessing was thanking God for all this good stuff. Thanking him for the production of the garden. And the man said, but you should have seen the garden when God had it by himself. You know, those kinds of prayers. (laughs) Well, I'm talking today about a different way of walking. Where everything you have, the job you have, the car you drive, the breaking of the bondages of sin in your life, the healing of the wounds of your heart. Everything that you have comes as a result of the promise of God. 
and comes by the power of the Spirit. Is that way of life attractive to you? Do you have a drawing in your heart to see the hand of God move with power to answer your prayers? Or we have Abram, 13 years, God hasn't spoken to him because he's walking in the way of the flesh. He's walking in the way of natural man. And finally, God appears to him and he says, I am God El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Obviously, he had not walked before God and been blameless. Now he's saying, I am the Almighty. Abram, you're not the Almighty. You think you pulled something off with that little Egyptian maidservant. You think you're the man because you could have the child. I'm God Almighty. Now walk before me and be blameless. It was not a request. It was an order. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram responds appropriately this time. He's flat on his face before God. If God hasn't spoken to you for 13 years and suddenly his command rings into your heart, I pray you too would fall flat on your face before Almighty God. Now, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. You understand what Abraham means, father of many. For I've made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God, the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your own offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. What is that all about? Well, get the picture. We have Abram coming over here with a little Egyptian maidservant saying, I'm going to produce for God what God can't produce through Sarai. God's hand is too short. He can't do what he promised to do. 
I'm going to have to help God. And so you have a child born in the natural way. Over on the other side, you have God saying, walk by the promise. I want everything in your life to be produced by a promise. Will you trust me to walk in promise? And then Abram goes over here with Hagar, has this child Ishmael, and for 13 years, God doesn't speak to him. And now God comes back after 13 years and says, now let's have a conversation. And let's have it very clear. You're going to have to be circumcised. All of the men in your family are going to be circumcised. Now look at the culture. It's an agrarian culture. Birth is prosperity. And so God says, we're going to mark the instrument of prosperity in your life. We are going to circumcise the reproductive organ of the male so that any time you have children, you will know that those children have come from me and not from you. Not only that, every part of productivity is now going to be produced by me in your life. You will no longer be the one producing productivity. It will come from my heart. And so circumcision becomes that symbol then that absolutely cuts off all human productivity and says only that which is produced by promise has value. Now I can hear some of you saying, but wait a minute. If I wait on God, I'll die. That's the point. That is the point. Some of you say, if I wait on God for a job, I'll starve. I guess that really pushes you into the corner and says, do you believe in God or do you believe in you? Who's going to be God? Are you going to be God? Have you done a good job being God? Did you get the sun up? Do you put the sun to bed? Are you the Almighty or is the Lord God of heaven the Almighty? You have to make a decision in your life. Am I going to walk the way of Cain or am I going to walk the way of the Lord God of heaven? I mean, Cain is cast out of the presence of God. What's the first thing he does? He starts to build a city. He says, if, if God isn't going to bless me in being a farmer, then I'll pull everybody together and I'll provide a place to sell everybody's goods. I mean, Cain was about himself. He was about himself. So this issue now becomes very large for Abraham. God is saying to him, you have to be circumcised because I'm not going to allow you to be productive anymore. You're going to be productive only in accord with my promises. You understand, if I can only be productive according to the promises of God, I first of all have to know what those promises are. I have to meet the conditions to access the promise. And then I have to access it. And then I have to wait for God to do something. And if your heart's like mine, you're saying, I don't want to talk to somebody else about what I want. I want to just go do it. 
Get out of my way and let me do it. I'm a man. I can handle it, God. You can be a visitor once a week. Let me handle my life. And now that I've lived this number of years, I confess before you, all I did was make a mess of being a man. And some people have said to me, Pastor, would you like to go back and relive your life? And I've said, absolutely not, because I'd make a bigger mess the second time. I just want to get under the judgment of God covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and be pulled through to victory. I have to tell you today, I don't have any confidence in the flesh, either to create money and prosperity or to create success or to create love and friendship or to create family. I can tell you today, I would not be married to this woman if I had left it with my being the man. Jesus Christ stands between us. We are both so much alike, we'd kill each other. But Jesus stands between us. So now when I talk to Jan, I have to talk to Jesus first. And Jan can't say anything to me without going through Jesus. Boy, is that safety. Do you understand what I'm saying? So now, God says to Abram, who's just been named Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham falls out on the floor laughing. And he says to his own heart, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Her womb is dried up. She's going to become a fruitful tree. She's going to bear a son. And so Abraham says to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God, you aren't big enough to give Sarah a son of promise. Why don't you just go ahead and bless my natural talent, God? Oh, God! You see, God, I've been the man. I've been able to produce a son with my Egyptian handmaiden. You see, I have this alliance with the world. Why don't you just go ahead and bless that alliance with the world? I mean, God, be reasonable here. I'm not asking for the sky. I'm just asking, can I live a normal life, God? Can I just have a normal family, God? Can I just have everybody love me, God? Can I just be respected here, God? Just just give me a little place where I can farm my little deal and I'll be happy, God. 
Bless my Ishmael. Bless my Ishmael. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. If only the works of my flesh could live under your blessing. God, let me light my own fires and then bless the work of my hands. Now, every one of us grew up with great expectations. We grew up being taught that we could do anything we want to do. All we have to do is try hard enough. All we have to do is try long enough. All we have to do is is get the right connections. All we have to do is, is network with the right people. All we have to do is get enough education. All we have to do is is just do it well enough. Go to the right schools and, and meet the right people. And the rich get richer and the poor get poor. So no, I've just got to set this money machine up the right way. And then we say, God, now would you come and bless me in my happy life? Bless my happy marriage, God. Don't let my husband and I have any conflict over you. Just bring him along, God. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Just bless me, God. And the Lord said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to bless your Ishmael. I'm going to start something totally new with you. It's going to be by promise. Some of you are really angry in your spirits because God hasn't blessed your Ishmael. I've heard some of you say, I've worked so hard. I've always tried to work and I've ended up with holes in my pockets. I've done everything I could do to succeed and everything is against me. It seems like I get all the bad breaks. Why? Because you're trying to get God to bless your Ishmael. God is not in the business of blessing your Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? Donkey. The Lord said he's going to be a donkey-like man. He's always going to be in contention with everybody. It's never going to work right. You're always going to be upset. There's always going to be a fight. There's always going to be a battle. You're never going to be comfortable. This is always going to be wrong. And Abraham says, well, can't you come fix up my Ishmael? Come bless my Ishmael. Now, please, let me get very personal. Some of you are in marriages, and you've been praying, God, come and fix up my marriage. God doesn't want to fix up your marriage. God wants to take that marriage into his hands and completely make it new. And the only way he can can completely make your marriage new is by making you and your husband, you and your wife, completely new. Almost every marriage collects baggage. Do you know what I mean? As the years go by, you collect the furniture. You collect the stuff in your marriage. You know 
that button is right there. And if you touch it, there's going to be an explosion. And so we won't talk about that. So finally, you're in a restaurant and you see a a couple, an older couple sitting together. And you notice that not one time through the entire meal do they speak to each other. They don't hold hands. They don't kiss. There's no contact. And you wonder why. Well, maybe it's because they've discovered that there are no safe things for them to talk about. Everything is so toxic. There is nothing safe to deal with. They don't talk about church because they disagree. They don't talk about the kids because they disagree. They don't talk about vacations because they can't agree. They don't talk about the money because they disagree. They can't talk about anything without getting into a fight. So finally, they just say, okay, I won't talk. The Lord God of heaven wants to take that man and wants to take that woman And he wants to crush all those old familiar patterns. He wants to take the Ishmael out of your marriage. And he wants your marriage to become something of a promise of God. Now some of you are single. And some of you who are single have said, I guess I'm just always going to be single. Because God can't bring me a wife. God can't bring me a husband. So you created your Ishmael. You said, well, I'm just always going to be this way because God can't. God's arm is too short. God can't do it. There isn't a man in the world I'd be satisfied with, and he knows that. Or some of you say, there isn't a woman in the world who would meet my expectations. I guess I'm just always going to be single. God says to you, Let go of your Ishmael. I want to do something as a promise in your life. I want to do something in your life that isn't you producing it, but it's me producing it. I mean, when you look at your life, please be honest with me and be honest with Jesus. When you look at your life right now, if I were to ask you to describe on paper, write down a list, diagram your life, what part of your life would be a result of the promise of God? What percentage of your life would be a direct result of the promises of God? And how much of your life would be Because you've been wed to Ishmael's, Hagar's. And you produce in your life that which is darkness. I mean, examine the way you spend your time. Do you go to the Ishmael television? Do you go to the Ishmael sports? Do you go to the Ishmael activities? Or do you go to the son of promise, Jesus? Are you satisfied with Jesus? Or do you have to have your Ishmael? Now, I recognize in saying this, that some of you have such bitterness and hurt in your heart. You've been mistreated. You've been abused. 
You've been cast down. Everything seems to have gone wrong in your life. And you've just learned to survive. I hope you hear today. You don't have to survive with Ishmael anymore. God wants to birth something new. But it's going to mean that you have to be circumcised. You're going to have to cut off that flesh. We've spoken about this so many times, but I have to keep coming back to it until the lesson is clearly understood. Always there is a time of separation, and it seems as though you're going to die when you release your Ishmael and you're waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. And sometimes that's going to take 13 years. Sometimes that does not happen quickly. Because God has seen how you've walked in your own flesh for so many years. He withdraws. He pulls back. So he says, okay, will you go on with your flesh? Or will you seek my face? Will you hunger after me? Or will you hunger after the world? God said, verse 19, this is Genesis 17, verse 19. Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. and You will call him Isaac, meaning laughter. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. Now we need to stop on this. Because you see, when we've spent all of our time producing Ishmael's, a time will come when those Ishmael's will grow up and they will create a great nation and they will oppress the son of promise. They always have. Now let's be clear. I have done some things in my past that have created certain situations And those situations come back and oppress me. They come back and cause pain in my life. They come back and speak to me and say, remember, you created me. You were responsible for what you did. And I have to say, yes, I did create you. And now you've taken on a life all of your own. And now I'm still accountable for that result. And there are times I go before the Lord and simply weep and say, Oh, Lord, I know you've forgiven me for walking in that way and for creating this. But, oh, God, as an act of grace, would you cover me? Because now I choose to walk only by promise. Some of you have created some of the most painful situations for yourselves 
And when you think about them, all you can do is weep or be despair, discouragement. You know you did it. You know you created it. And that comes out of the past now. And it speaks to you and it says to you, you can never be a Christian. You can never be fruitful for God. Look what you did in the past. How can you ever expect anything good to come out of your life? You're going to always be the bum you were back there. The past predicts the future. Have you ever been told that? I don't believe the past predicts the future. I believe that Jesus Christ predicts the future. And our future can belong in the hands of Jesus if we will step out of the Ishmael process and step into the faith promise process. And then what is produced out of our life will be of the Holy Spirit and not of the flesh. Our relationships will be then out of the Spirit and not out of the flesh. And some of you are stepping out as Christians and you want to walk in the promises, but you made a decision and you married somebody who doesn't walk with Jesus Christ. How do you handle it? You go in the prayer closet and you pray and you wait on the promises of God for that precious spouse that they will be crushed and turned into something new by the blood of Jesus Christ. And some of you are going to have to wait 13 years unless God in his grace steps in sooner. Now we're going to close with this last passage today. Of all the passages of Scripture we've shared today, this is the one that brings the greatest joy to my heart. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money, every male in his household, and circumcised them as God told him. In other words, Abraham has now heard the word of God. And as soon as he hears the word of God, he now acts on the word of God. Because he knows if he doesn't, God may not speak to him for another 13 years. And Abraham can't stand the thought of God being distant from him. Abraham can't deal with another 13 years of God's absence. Now all he has a heart to do is hear the word of God and step into obedience and do what God has asked him to do. Have you been away from God long enough that now all you want to do is quickly step into obedience to his command? Have you stepped into the arena of promise? Are you still walking in the way of the flesh? Are you still creating for yourself Ishmael's? Or are you walking in the son of promise in Isaac? Do you know how you can tell the difference? Isaac is laughter. If you're walking in promise, there's laughter in your heart. 
There's joy in your spirit. Oh, those Ishmaels will come back and they'll oppress you. They'll mock you, but there is a son of promise in your heart. And you're trusting what God has said he will do for you. Joy rises up in your spirit because you are trusting God. You know he's a God who is faithful and you're about his business. And as soon as he speaks to you, it's done. Even if it doesn't make any sense, it's done. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Come join us at nationalprayerchapel.com. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of 